John chapter 12, we'll start, actually start reading about verse 32 to draw in the context. John chapter 12, the praise of men is the title. It's fine here. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. And the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and he did hide himself from them. Now remember, this is the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Isn't that a sad tale uh, to be told regarding the people of Israel? That, that the saying of Isaiah, though the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed thy report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because the, the Isaiah had or said again, He hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, Sir Isaiah, when he saw his glory, and spake of him. That would be Isaiah chapter 6. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word is Paul's for prayer. Lord, I thank you that you do love us, and we uh, just so much are grateful for that. Lord, help us as we look into your word today that I would say nothing amiss. Forgive me of sin and empty me of self and fill me with your spirit today. Help us, Lord, to have soil that has been plowed up by your spirit this week. And so when the seed is sown today, the word of God is sown that it would find lodging in our hearts. I pray, Lord, for those teaching downstairs that you'd give them wisdom and direction. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, be steady in this day of such change that our church would be steady. We would remain founded upon your word that the preaching of your word would always be the most important and preeminent part of our services. May it continue to be that. And so, Lord, bless our time together, please. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For jotting down notes, and there is on the back of your bulletin, there's a spot to jot down notes should you care to do that. Number one is the people's response in 34. The people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou... The Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is this Son of Man? Now the crowd had gathered together, and as you well know, there was had been a group going. Ladders had been raised. Chapter eleven. Ladders was raised. A group following Christ into Jerusalem. A, a group in Jerusalem's heard that He's coming, and so they met together. In the beginning of the chapter, we find then that the great triumphant entry, tragic entry, you might say, but it was prophet prophetically filled on the very 1,073, 880th day, I think it is, from Daniel's prophecy. He goes into Jerusalem, not on a big white stallion, but on a donkey, because he came to bring peace. So that is part of this happening here. And then there's the Passion Week. He's cleansed the temple. So to set it in context, this is that between the triumphant entry into Jerusalem and the resurrection, this is in that period of time i believe now the several passages in the old testament spoke of the eternality of jesus reign so they're struggling with this how is it in 34 how is it that the son of man must be lifted up which always refers to in john the cross how is he going to be lifted up but it says in the bible it says that he's going to reign forever matter of fact hold your finger let's just look at one verse isaiah 9 7 
Isaiah 9, 7. It's clear that Jesus is going to live forever. Isaiah 9, 7. 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He is going to have an eternal kingdom, so they're struggling with how can God die? Matter of fact, today, the Jewish world still struggles with Jesus can't be the Messiah because he did what? He died on the cross. And so they do not believe in Jesus. They would say that Jews for Jesus are not true Jews because they believe that Jesus is the Savior. And so we find that this this really the process of uh, judgment is started upon the Jewish people. They've interrupted Jesus' speaking. They've heard more than enough. How can this be? He's going to be lifted up 20 times in the Gospel of John. It talks about him going to the cross. And so that's, we don't understand, how does this, how can this be? And so between, halfway between the Hosannas, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and the house for his crucifixion, we find this passage, well, how does this work? That was the law, and then there is the light. The people's response involves the law, and then the light then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and hid himself, to hide himself from them. So he doesn't really answer their question per se. Why? Because really they didn't really want the right answer. Have you ever heard people ask questions that they don't really want to know the answer or they don't really want to know the truth? We want to know a answer as long as the answer is what I want it to be. I'll take it. The emphasis on light five times. He emphasizes the word light. Now we know the light of the world is Jesus and we now are his light. Are we not? We're the light of the world because he's left. We are the light of the world. We're to be that. They were looking for the political Messiah to come in and, and to stamp out Rome and take over and make the Jewish world the number one in the world and, and he would rule and reign. They were looking for that. And by the way, one day he will do that. But they said no right here at this point in time in history. They say no. While you have light, believe in the light that you may be children of light. While the light is there, you must believe. I like what Guzik said. Uh, we must believe on Jesus while the light is there, while it is day. Because it won't last forever. God's spirit will not always strive with man, Genesis 6. And we must answer his call while it rings to us. And if you remember the old-fashioned phones, it had that loud ring and Back in McGoffin County, six people or five, at least four people could answer the phone from different homes because it might be for them. The thing was, not answering, it's the hanging up after you, it's for you. And other people, and my dad would say, now you're still, would you stop listening on the phone or would you hang up your phone, please? Because we knew they were just, no, I'm listening on to your conversation. Can you imagine that, imagine that today's world being allowed to do that? Some kind of law against that, I'm sure they would make one. And the subsequent history of the Jewish people 
show that they disregarded Christ. Matter of fact, it starts right here. They reject Christ. They nail him to the cross. Now, by the way, we were part of that. We understand that. But he is reject, they reject the Spirit. They, they try to overthrow Rome in 70 AD. Roman, this, Roman soldiers destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. Again, in 132 to 135, Bar Kokhba rebellion, and the Jews are decimated yet again. And today, are the Jews... Are the Jews trusting in the Lord? There are 14.8 million Jews in the world as of 2020. 0.2% of the world's population. But Judaism today does not accept Jesus as the Messiah. They do not. Matter of fact, I read a statistic that there are 175, approximately 175,000 Jewish Christians. We call them Messianic Jews here in America. When you decide for the Messiah, you choose against your family, if you're a Jewish person, Jews for Jesus, you've heard of that mission organization, they say the traditional Jews would say they're just not Jewish because the traditional Jews still reject Jesus as the Messiah. Can I ask you then, put that all together, Daniel's 69 weeks prior, we've already had that, we're waiting for the 70th week of Daniel, also known as the tribulation, thank you, seven-year tribulation, and that's to get the Jews to do what? At the end... The Jewish people say, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the, really, the singular, most important part of the tribulation period is the Jews at the end will say yes. Remember, 69 or 483 years they've already had of the 70 weeks, seven more years, the tribulation time. It's for the Jews, really, in a large part. So they say no. They say no to Jesus here. And the gospel comes to you, me, the, the Gentiles, aren't you? I'm really glad it has come to us. The word hide means simply to, in verse 36, to withdraw oneself away. Now remember, he's on a specific timetable. He's very well known at this point. He is going to go to the cross, but he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to be crucified on Passover, not before. And so God's timetable will be fulfilled exactly as predicted. So that's the people's response, the law, the light, and 37, there's the lack. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Deliberately, persistently, stubbornly, they tore up his credentials, if you would. They took it and said, we don't believe that. We're going to tear that up. We don't believe this. So something else. Now, the 36 approximately in the Gospels, which the Gospels talk about Jesus' life. There's four of them. 36 miracles are in those. But he did many, many more than those. Just summary statements. So many miracles he did. He demonstrated his deity in countless ways over and over and over and over. He did over and over. It's, some, it's like our cat, uh, Ivan. He demonstrates that he has nothing else on his mind but food. You can get up in the middle of the night, the middle of the day, the middle of the morning. As soon as you get home from work, as soon as you leave for work. And all, he's always wanting more. Always. He, he lives by his stomach. And they have seen all these things, and yet, they're, they're, well, we want more. We want more. We want more. No, they didn't really want to believe. The people today, there's enough gospel on the airwaves, and they have Bibles. You can get countless Bible programs on your computer, your iPad, your phone. If you really wanted to know, really wanted to know, I was putting together a projector, uh, seeing how it works uh, the other day at the, at the where I work. Because I have seven of them, I've got to use it for my computer cafe classes for seniors. And so I told Thomas, you know what? I'm going to read the directions. 
contrary to what most men do, I'm going to read the directions first. And so everything, you know what? It worked swell. When I read the directions the first time, started with that. That was a good thing to start with. I'm not promising I'll do that very often, but this time it worked. Unbelief, unbelief in the face of such proof. He is and was Jesus, the God of very God. And so they deliberately fostered this idea of unbelief. They chose. You can ask a skeptic, you say, are are you saying that if I give you a reasonable, credible answer to your question regarding Christ, that you're willing to trust Christ as personal Savior? Oh, well, no, I I have a lot of other questions too. I, I just want, can you do this one? Can you do that one? Do you have a heart that truly is seeking the Savior? Wearsby says, when a person starts to resist the light, something begins to change within him, and he comes to the place where he cannot believe. There is judicial blindness that God permits to come over the eyes of people who do not take the truth seriously. God's three deadlines. You should read, listen to that message. One of the most famous messages in all of, of American history, God's three deadlines. You should get that out. You can probably find it on sermon audio and listen to that. Leon Moore says, when John quotes that he hath blinded their eyes in verse 40, it does not mean that the blinding takes place without their will or against the will of these people. These men chose evil. It was their own deliberate choice, their own fault. Make no mistake about that, end of quote, says Leon Morris. And so they chose. I do not believe that God chooses from eternity past uh, certain people who absolutely can never be saved, eternal damnation, even go crazy, just eternally damned, period. And there's those who are, no matter what, you're going to be. It's it's called predeterminism. It's called, I believe in the elect, which I am one of the elect. God has chosen me and and saved me. But the fact that I believe that you have a choice. I believe you have the option to receive Christ as personal Savior. I believe he died for you on the cross. And And he's knocking on your heart's door. Receive him. Receive him. But you say no long enough. You say no long enough. And he'll quit. He'll just, okay. Go on your own way. I'm just tired of fooling with you. No, he doesn't. I'm sorry. He does not say it that way. That's how I would say it. Uh, I know, I'm just tired of fooling. You know, just do your own thing. You know, you go. You go, person. You go on your way. The people's response. Then there is the prophecy is realized. Starting in 38, we see the man. Of course, is Isaiah. Isaiah, a different way it's spelled here uh, in in the Greek language, but still Isaiah. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet. So we see the man. Uh, by the way, he is Isaiah. Uh, both quotes uh, are given by, speak of Christ. Now, Christ is the Greek for Messiah. And Messiah is the Hebrew for Messiah. And so the anointed one, it's either Christ or Messiah, Hebrew or Greek, whichever you want to choose, but refers to the same one. A quick infomercial for Isaiah. Isaiah is quoted far more in the New Testament than any other prophet. He's mentioned 21 times by name. Isaiah 53 is quoted or alluded to alluded to 85 times. Isaiah 53 in the New Testament. It's a mini Bible. How many chapters are in the Bible? How many books? How many books are in the Bible? Sorry. How many chapters in Isaiah? 66. The first 1 to 39, how many books are there in the Old Testament? 39, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are one direct, or talks about, if you would, talks about the judgment and immorality, idolatry, and then 40 to 66, which is 27 books. The second part of Isaiah, hope, Messiah, Savior, Sovereign. Now, I'll have to say that's given rise to some erroneous beliefs that there was a Deutero-Isaiah, or possibly three, or four different people named Isaiah, because why? Because the 
the prophecies are so specific in these last chapters, surely someone couldn't have been given such detailed prophecies all the way back in the 700s BC. So there must be another one who wrote 40 to 66 or perhaps two or three that wrote 40. No, Jesus says Isaiah wrote both before and after the break there. You want to call it a break? He quoted Isaiah eight times from the early section. Jesus quoted Isaiah eight times from the latter section. So, And John, who's a very, obviously, knew about Scripture. He's a pretty good Bible teacher, contributed a few books to the New Testament. He quotes it from Isaiah. The same Isaiah, by the way, wrote it all, clearly. But if you don't want to believe what the Bible says, you've got to come up with some other theory. If you don't want to believe that God, in the beginning God created, you've got to come up with another theory. How about evolution? If something, boom, happened by chance, well... We'll just teach that, and almost everybody in the world believes that today. Isn't that amazing how the media, now other than perhaps you and I and churches like ours, even a lot of Christians have succumbed to that. It's amazing what you keep telling people long enough, long enough, long enough, long enough. Well, maybe it is true. It's not. In the beginning, God created. It's so clear. By the way, the fulfilling of this prophecy does not mean the Jews rejected Christ with a conscious purpose of fulfilling the Old Testament. Oh, we've read this scroll. We've got to turn and reject Jesus right now. So let's read. That's not what he's saying. Nor does it, the verse teach that God exercises influence on the hearts of the Jews to prevent them from believing. God has given to us the, the ability by our own cognition to receive or to reject Christ as, his, as our personal Lord and Savior, the individual soul liberty, one of the Baptist distinctives, individual soul liberty. You can choose, or you can choose not to, but choose you must. Choose you must. Well, I think I'm just going to wait. Well, that's a choice. No. Anything but accepting Christ as Savior is really a no. I don't want him. It's really, I think, a demonstration of the omniscience, of the unknowing ability of God to know there are those who believe in predeterminism, that God knows every single idea and God determines and dictates every single action of every single person, of every single individual who has ever lived. That's called predeterminism. Or, I believe that God is so powerful that he can take the decisions of mankind and still have his sovereign rule it's how you define sovereignty. Does sovereignty mean absolutely predeterminism on every, that God dictates every single bad thing I've done, he makes me do that, and that's his choice for me. Man's that I do that, or I sin, and God still, as I confess, overrules that. And so that's the two, and that's a little bit deeper theologically than you're wanting to think this morning, but that's the two ideologies I believe that he's showing by this, that he is Sovereign in control of yet even mankind's decisions. He gives the option, but he is going to have his will will be done. The man. Then there's the meaning in 38, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed thy report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He that blind he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Isn't that sad? They could not believe, not because their freedom of choice had been removed, I believe, but because they purposefully rejected God and his chosen evil. Even the Pharisees in their counsel, that he has done some miracle cannot be refuted after the blind man is healed and nine well the fact that he was can see now we can't we can't go with that so we've got to find another another way to go on this the lord blinded in 40 means to blunt or the mental discernment and the word for harden means to grow callous or dull or lose the power of understanding 
does not mean that God kept back opportunity from these people to be saved, but their constant rejection and denial of the words of Jesus had come to this sad condition. Aren't there, don't you think there's millions in even our own country who have constantly rejected what the Bible says and been taught in our schools and colleges, etc.? Just reject that. Mankind's the ultimate. We believe in humanism, etc. And they, well, I'm just going to reject what the Bible says. It's not true. We know that. So we got, don't you think? They have been. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath what? Blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Let me ask you, what is the greatest, uh, greatest uh, attainment of, in, of Satan and the idea of blinding the minds? And I have to come quickly to the Islam over well over maybe even up to two billion people i'm not sure but well over a billion people follow islam blindly believing they're doing what is right hasn't satan been so successful in the hinduism confucianism how about sect uh it is uh in our own country it's this idea of well we don't need a god at all it's just uh, i want to say sectarian it's not sectarianism but it's this idea that we, we just don't need that anymore we, we're good on our own but we're not good on our own. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When a governor on the far side of our country can take the word of God and put it on billboards across America to promote the ending the life of babies in the womb, I'm telling you, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The audaciousness. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And you're going to take God's word and put that on a billboard that's promoting, come to our state, we'll end the life of your child. That's, I just, God help us. We need a fear of God. Whether you believe in him or not, we need that fear. So by citing these verses from Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6.10, he makes two startling claims. First of all, the Jews' rejection of Jesus was in order to fulfill prophecy. And secondly, the Jews were incapable of believing because God had blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts. And a third might be startling claim for the liberal critics who say Isaiah didn't write at all. He's quoting from both sides of Isaiah 53 and 6. Surely the same Isaiah didn't write at all. Well, he did, yes. The Bible is the best commentary on itself. Yes, Isaiah wrote all. Remember, that's why I have such time with Daniel. Well, Daniel surely couldn't have lived in the 6th century B.C. because these prophecies are so specific. He must have lived like in the 100s B.C. because he could... No, the Holy Spirit can. The Spirit can do those things. The final unbelieving rejection of Christ judicially blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they could not believe because the Jews would not believe, he judicially blinded them. I've heard, I've been given illustrations of men here in our own country, and not in my lifetime, but earlier on. So I, I just can't be saved. I remember a story as Evangelist Jones, and this guy said he had, a, he had the opportunity to receive Christ, and he walked out from the balcony, and instead of going down front to receive Christ, he went out the back door, and the evangelist met him the very next day, witnessed him to him, and said, you know, I can't be saved now. I believe it was that very night he went out into eternity. It just, the, that, what you say, well, Pastor, how do I know? Every time you hear the truth about Jesus and reject it, it's like, uh, take an illustration, it's like taking a little bit of, of a plastic spray and this is your heart and you rejected it once. 
Oh, next week, you spray that plastic coating on again. And after a couple months, it gets it's pretty hard. And it hardens your heart. And eventually, well, it can't even get through there. Because I've hardened my heart. Is it happening to me right now? Have I hardened my heart so far? Let me ask you, have you crossed the line? Well, you probably haven't if you're in church this morning right now. And if you care about it, I believe you've probably not crossed the line either. And if the Holy Spirit's knocking on your door in some way, it's a heart's door and say, listen, you need to respond. You need to get right with me. You've not crossed that deadline. I don't believe either. Maybe perhaps it's time to be saved. I just can tell you, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Come now. Come now. Pastor, do I have to come forward? No. Right where you are, you can bow your head, close your eyes, and receive Jesus as your personal Savior right where you are before we even get to the invitation. When Jonathan Edwards would preach, he would read his sermon like this, and I read, they would come forward during his sermon and start wailing and weeping and want to get saved before he even got done. He was like, because he was so nearsighted, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And the Holy Spirit would quench and convict the heart so much. I've got to get right with God now. There is the man, the meaning, and the majesty. These things said Isaiah, Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spoke of him. You want to read that account? That is Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me. He saw the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Back and forth, back and forth, continually praising God for his holiness. The only attribute of God used three times. He is loving. He is caring. He is good. He is perfect. But I can tell you this. He is holy, holy, holy. We'd say holy, holy, or holiest. When you say it three in a row, that's the same thing. He's holy. He is holy. Our God is holy. Beyond anybody else. There's no one even close. The people's response, the prophecy realized, the prideful rulers in 42, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. And we read that first phrase in 42, woohoo, yay, some believed on him. Nevertheless means yet or how be it or could be stated this way, putting all this aside, as if it were to say, putting all this aside, many chief rulers believed on him. Now we know two by name. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, two of the Pharisees who we know truly trusted Christ as personal Savior. Evidently, there were more who said, oh yeah, I believe. I believe. I believe. And you would ask people on the street, do you believe there's a God? Oh yes, I believe there's a God. Are you a child? Are you a Christian? Well, I don't know about that, but I believe. And there were many who believed of the priests, at least in vocalizing that belief. The pressure was this. The people, the pressure. And because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They had two forms of excommunication. The first was, the smaller was, you have 30 days to repent. You repent, you can come back. And they didn't do it in 30 days, you have 60 days. You have 60 days to repent, you can come back. They didn't do it in 60 days. You got 90 days. You got 90 days to repent of what you've done wrong, and you can come back in the synagogue. 91 days come along, and you're shifted to the more important heavy-duty excommunication called Shereem, C-H-E-R-E-M. They place curses upon you. You're cut off from seeing anybody of the synagogue, even from anybody of the nation. You're no longer employable. The only thing they will give you is just enough goods to keep you alive. That's what they are facing if they say Jesus is the Messiah. 
You today, we, we beg and plead. Pastors beg and plead every Sunday across Greenup, Boyd, Lawrence, Sida, Adams counties. Come to Christ and we'll rejoice with you. Be baptized and we'll just praise the Lord with you. Join the church. You know what believe? Join with us. Get involved. We, we plead that all the time. Without any, well, you're going to lose your house if you do that. They're going to take your cars. They're taking your motorcycles. They're taking your bass boats and your fishing rods and your tractors to cut the hay. They're taking all those things if you say you're a Christian. Well, I think I'll just step back from that. We're not saying that. We're saying we'll rejoice with you. We'll pray for you. We'll be, we'll just glad. Do you see the, the, what I'm saying? They have to make a decision here, and it's, it's a big decision. Now, this believing, interestingly enough, back in John chapter 2, 23, if you want to hold your finger there, look back, John 2, 23. My eyes on the clock, I see what time it is. We should still be in our normal time, don't worry. John 23, 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the feast of Passover, John 2, 23. And the feast day, many believed in his name. When they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that they should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Oh, we believe. Well, you, I know what you're saying, but you really don't believe. You're saying that for some other purpose. In John 8, where John says the Jews believed in Jesus, but they clearly did not believe in a saving way. In John 6, 66, many left him because they truly did not believe in who he was. In John 5, 44, how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? And in Mark 8, 38, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in his glory of his Father with the holy angels. They did not confess Christ as Savior and Messiah because they feared what? Men. Cast out of the synagogue. You do that, you're out. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you, and the Lord's going to be ashamed of you. So I'm thinking that most of these men were not true believers at this point. The only two we really know received Christ and followed him were Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. It was a belief, but it was not a saving faith. I tell you, again, you ask people, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Which God? Well, I believe that there's many gods, and I believe it. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's a, but do, you have, do you know Jesus Christ as your very own personal Lord and Savior? Well, now that's just a difference, and it is a different story, but that's what we've got to ask. Do you believe in God? Well, I believe in God. No. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Tell me about it. Tell me about that when it happened. That, and then finally there's a problem. In 43, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. I like what the commentator Trapp says regarding the love, the praise of men. He says this, which what, which what is it else but a little stinking breath? They have their rewards. The praise of men, which what is it else but a little stinking breath? And it's gone. Wow, you're doing a great, wow, super deep. Wow, you're just, we want to see you. Yes, no. Is it the praise of God or the praise of men? They feared the retribution of the Pharisees and the promise that those who profess Christ's deity would be put out of the synagogue, stripping, stripping them of all authority. So they love the praise of man more than the praise of God. Praise simply means honor or adoration coming from one to another. John declared where these men desired the fickle honor of, yes, I'm a Christian, but I really want this. 
It's like we're, we got one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. And one man, was, was, my wife read to me this past week about a singer. He said, I was like that growing up. I had one foot in the world, one foot in, I was sitting on the fence. And then I realized the devil owns a fence. It, it, it doesn't work that way. You're going to fall off. And almost, I can tell you almost to a T, Christians that walk in one foot in, they fall off on the world side. Almost every time when you're trying to straddle both, it's so hard to follow Christ. So I, I've got to follow the world. The people's response to the prophecy realized the prideful rulers. Interestingly enough, in, in about 1991, there was an event in India. There was 36,000 Hindu holy men called Sadhus, S-A-D-H-U-S, Sadhus, and they're a part of 40 million people gathered in India during this two-month celebration. There were 200 American sadhus, which are Hindu holy men. Of the Hare Krishna groups, they brought millions of dollars, the missionary says, of Hindu literature to the festival. One of our partners, missionaries in South India, explains the purpose of this ritual bathing. They come, he says, for the forgiveness of their sins and salvation. As a matter of fact, some will be completely unclothed, for days, they will roll around on the rough roads for miles, believing their festering sores all over their bodies will somehow earn them salvation. He says hundreds have kept their arm lifted up for years, this one arm, until the arm gets shriveled with dry gangrene. Others have stood on one leg for years, sleeping by holding onto a sling, sleeping at night, and the, arm, and the leg shrivels, all believing they've got to somehow placate angry gods aren't you glad you are not part of that system during a festival which takes place in the heat of the summer he said our indian uh, missionaries set up free medical clinics 150 christian students passed out literature and talked to the pilgrims about the love of christ he said some were met with friendliness some were tolerated and some were absolutely ferociously objected to sharing the gospel at this place so the number received Christ as Savior, but he said of all of them, only five, and two of them were Hindu spiritual leaders, were baptized. Well, see, in India, having been there, in India, when you are baptized, that is the break. Because what you do on the inside, people can't see. But when you are baptized as a Christian, you have just cooked your bacon right there, and you are ostracized. Five of them took their stand. Why were they coming? Initially, they came by the millions to earn their salvation, to roll on the ground, to keep to stand on. Can you imagine standing on one leg for years, sleeping in a sling, standing up? Can you imagine holding this arm up and it shrivels? You just hold it I mean, for years until it shrivels away. There's so many erroneous beliefs of salvation. And just this past week, uh, on the, the briefing for Albert Moeller, the patriarch of the Roman Orthodox Church, as you well know, the Russian and Orthodox Church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church are at odds. The Russian Orthodox man is younger, uh, as far as years-wise. The Ukrainian in Kiev is actually an older Russian Orthodox Church. But the guy in Russia wants to take over and become the number one once they combine again, under whoever. And he said this thing. Now, you know there's been fighting. I'm quoting now from the 
patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church. But at the same time, the church realizes that if somebody's driven by a sense of duty and a need to fulfill their oath, goes to what their duty calls of them, and if a person dies in the performance, let's speak of soldiers, the performance of this duty, then they have undoubtedly committed an act equivalent to sacrifice. They will have sacrificed themselves for others, and therefore... We believe that this sacrifice washes away all the sins that person has committed. This is the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church telling you, soldier, you go out there and you can act however want you act, but to act, but if you die in the service, your sins are forgiven. It's all good. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. That's the key. Have you received that gift? Let us pray. Lord, we thank back to this message. We thank you that you are so saliently clear in your word that it is you. You are the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts, I think it is 4.12, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's none other, not Allah, not Confucius, not Muhammad and his, all his scheming. Lord, it is you. It's not secularism. It's not humanism. It's not evolutionary thought. If we're going to heaven, we must go through the door. Lord, if it be those who do not know his personal Savior, may they respond, give their heart to you. Lord, if they, and if you're knocking on their heart's door, they've not passed that last deadline if you're wooing them to yourself, may they respond. May they not spray more plastic coating on their hearts so it gets a little bit harder. May, they, may you break that shell of the Holy Spirit's power. Or be the invitation time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>